uh, the book of Hebrews uh, this morning, uh, picking up in chapter 3, beginning in uh, verse 6. If you've been with us any uh, time through uh, the first of the year, uh, you've know, you'll know that we've coined uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, the power of an indestructible life the power of an indestructible life. And what we're going to see this week and next week is that a huge component of the power of the indestructible life is rest. Where do we find rest? Where uh, do we look for uh, rest? Um, we have also have uh, six gospel statements uh, that you'll see uh, throughout the book of Hebrews and throughout the rest of our study through uh, the end of the year. I'll draw your attention uh, to statements three and five uh, this morning. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in Jesus. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in Jesus. And then the fifth statement is warnings are meant to be wake-up calls because we always need realignment. Warnings are meant to be wake-up calls because we always need realignment. I'll direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 6 as we read God's Word. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, as in the rebellion, excuse me, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest." Take care, brothers, lest there, be any, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter rest because of unbelief. This is God's word. May he write its truths on our hearts. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is good and it's sharp to penetrate our hearts and root out unbelief. It's oftentimes convicting, Lord, and oftentimes draws us closer and closer to you. Would you use it uh, towards those ends this morning, Holy Spirit, uh, such that we feel your love, King Jesus, and we know your grace, and we see you high and lifted up, uh, 
so that we might worship uh, in spirit and in truth. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'd like for us to try and start this morning with uh, a couple of questions, if we can. Um, Why are we so restless? Do you know where restlessness shows up in, in your life? Are there places that you can uh, pinpoint? Maybe it's nerves, uh, maybe it's uh, anxiety, maybe it's uh, you feel out of or, or lack of uh, control. Maybe there's weightiness or tension in uh, relationships or family. Uh, all these things uh, might, might cause restlessness, but then how do they manifest uh, themselves uh, in your life? Um, maybe you have bad habits, or maybe you constantly are tapping your leg or your foot. Maybe you complain a lot. Um, Maybe you focus on others' problems more uh, than your own. Maybe you have a mindset towards something or someone that just uh, can't be changed. Now, you might be thinking, good grief, he came out of the gate like right at me this morning. The beauty of Hebrews chapter 3 is Jesus wants to give us rest. Jesus wants our restlessness to be gone so that we can rest uh, in him, so that we can find a genuine rest. This week and next week, we'll look at what is genuine rest and how we find it. I want us to look at verses 7 through 11, and we'll couple that together with verses 16 through 19 as we start this morning. I want you to see a picture. Uh, That's our first point. Two points this morning. Uh, Seeing the picture and zooming in. But as we see the picture in verses 7 through 11, verses 16 through 19, you might realize that the majority of that is a quote. Isn't it? Look back, look back at your uh, copies of God's Word if you have it. And in order to get to this picture, you're going to need to remember that Psalm 95 weaves through Hebrews 3. And even more than Psalm 95, also Exodus and Numbers, specifically chapter 17 and chapter 20 uh, in Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 20. I'll kind of remind you of these uh, as we navigate uh, through them. Many of you have probably uh, seen or uh, remember uh, as a child in a coloring book, you open up the page and you see that page that has a whole host of numbers on it, right? It has a whole host of numbers, maybe let's say one through 25, and you take your pencil and you start at one and you connect to number two, and then you move to number three, and then you move to number four. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's a whole bunch of blank stares. We got, connect the dot. You remember that, right? Okay, good. It was going to be off to a rough start if we couldn't get there. Connect the dot picture, all right? One to two to three to four to five. And you connect the dots in order to reveal this picture where this morning, I'd like to try and see if we can connect some dots in our mind's eye of the history of Israel, so that it forms a picture for us about God's relationship uh, with his uh, people. 
I'll try to break it up into two halves. The first half of the picture, let's think about this. Beginning, in, beginning with dot one, uh, God hears the cries of his people. You remember that in Exodus. Where are they? They're in Egypt, right? They're in bondage. Uh, they're in uh, slavery. They're restless. Next dot, God raises up a leader to deliver his people. We talked about him last week, right? Moses. God raises up a deliverer uh, to deliver his people, but Moses was even restless about delivering God's people, wasn't he? You move on uh, to dot three. Uh, God establishes himself as the only God through the 10 plagues in pouring out uh, his judgment, in establishing himself as the only God and disrupting all the gods uh, that the Egyptians uh, worshiped. Next dot, God delivers his people through the Red Sea and defeats their enemy uh, by allowing the Red Sea to collapse down on Pharaoh and God's people are free uh, from Egypt. God's strong and mighty for them. What else could he do? And then the last dot, maybe on the first half of the picture, is this growing relationship with God and his people uh, through what he calls the law or the Ten Commandments. And I hope you realize in this story, in this picture, that freedom and deliverance comes before the law. That's important to remember, isn't it? Freedom and deliverance uh, come before the law. You see, in this first half of the picture, God's revealing his love and he's revealing his grace, his strength, and his plan for rest for his people in the promised land. Maybe the best way to categorize that or summarize that is that God is faithful, isn't he? God is faithful uh, to his people. But that's only half of the picture. If you can continue to let your mind's eye uh, form uh, this picture, uh, God's faithfulness to his people and the promise of rest. But then the second half of the picture connects with the next dot. And what do we see in the next dot? God's people are a little bit temperamental, aren't they? God's people want instant gratification to the promised land, and they complain when their desires aren't instantaneously met. And you connect to the next dot. In Israel, God's people are suspicious and doubting and untrusting and frustrated with Moses constantly, aren't they? It's like a big grumble fest between Moses and God's people. The next dot, God's people are easily distracted in worship, in work, uh, in purpose, in whatever they're doing. Uh, God's people lose sight of everything that he's already done for them and only choose to focus on what he hasn't done for them. You see, maybe the second half of the picture reveals a hardened and unbelieving uh, people. Uh, people who complain and bargain with God and just want to control him rather than embrace uh, the responsibility of being in a relationship uh, with God. That's what's described in verses 7 through 11. 
in verses 16 through 19. That picture of God's people that don't necessarily fit together. A loving and a gracious God who wants to pour out that grace and love and mercy on his people, but a people who are unreceptive because they can't get it their way. It's a broken, uh, fractured a picture that doesn't uh, fit together uh, very well. And what's the result of that broken, fractured picture? You might remember God's people wander, don't they? Wander uh, in uh, the wilderness. Maybe a question of application. Can you see yourself in Israel's story? Do these dots connect for your life where God has poured out his grace and mercy into your life. Maybe he's saved you. Uh, Maybe he's brought you along this journey where you've seen his presence. You know his love and his grace and his mercy, but uh, maybe your heart just complains and is frustrated and is bent uh, toward trying uh, to control God. It doesn't mean that God's promises of rest aren't still intact, but it does mean that this picture doesn't go together very well, does it? It's broken and it's fractured, and we struggle uh, to uh, live into the rest uh, of God. So is that it? Is that the end of the picture uh, that Israel continued to wander in the wilderness? We, in a sense, still today are wandering in the wilderness, waiting for the promised land. Is that the end? Does, Does our unbelief get the last word in the picture, or does God's faithfulness win out? Well, if you continue to read through the rest of the Old Testament and you get into the Gospels pretty quickly, what you see is that God's faithfulness does get the last word. But I want you to be able to see that here in Hebrews chapter 3, especially as the writer shows us that in Psalm 95. Maybe you were paying attention to our call to worship this morning. And our call to worship was directed that the joy of our salvation was, be, was to be directed to who? The rock of our salvation. The rock of our salvation, you see, in, we, we look at Hebrews 3 and we look through Psalm 95. And, and what we see is that God's faithfulness gets the last word. Because when we get to Exodus chapter 17 and we get to Numbers chapter 20, what do we find? God's people on the precipice of the promised land complaining again. God had just given them quail that came up out of the wilderness. He had delivered manna from heaven for them to eat. And that wasn't enough because there was no water for them to drink. So they complained and they were frustrated with God. And what did God say to Moses? Take the elders and you walk between the people and go up to Horeb and you stand on the rock. But Moses wasn't the only one standing on the rock because what did God say? I'm going to come stand on the rock with you. 
And his next words to Moses were, strike the rock. What comes out of that rock for God's people? Water to quench their thirst. Do you know what God's pointing to? In Exodus chapter 17 and what he's pointing to in Numbers 20, a different sort of rock that's going to be struck, that's going to provide rivers of living water. Do you see what God's saying? He's saying, I will take the blow for your unbelief and you'll get what you don't deserve. Do you see that in Israel's life? God's saying, I'll take the blow for your unbelief and you get what you don't deserve. God's faithfulness gets the last word for Israel and for us because nothing will thwart God's plan for rest for his people. For all of Jesus' perfect trust and all of Jesus' no complaints, perfect submission, meaning he didn't try to control his father's wrath, he just took it. Rather, taking full responsibility, every ounce of my unbelief, that Jesus took the rock, Jesus was struck on the cross for you and me, and flowing from him were rivers of living water that quench far more than physical thirst. Can you see the picture? Yes, the picture will always be separated and will always struggle unless there is, unless the rock has been struck. God's faithfulness gets the last word, overcoming our unbelief with his faithfulness, with, his, with the faithfulness of uh, his son. Can you see yourself in that picture? That Jesus the rock was struck uh, so that you wouldn't be struck? Isn't that an incredibly beautiful and gracious uh, picture that only fits together uh, with Jesus? Nothing will stop God's faithfulness and his plan for rest. But let's zoom in on that picture a little bit more. Point number two, let's zoom in on that picture a little bit more and look at verses 12 through 14. God's faithful grace wins. He's overcome our unbelief. We're able to find rest in his son Jesus, but we're still in the wilderness. We're still waiting for the promised land. It feels like oftentimes, at least in my life, I'm not sure about yours, it feels like oftentimes in my life, unbelief still wins. What do we do about that? What do we do about the fact that we can be redeemed by Christ, we can, be, we can believe in Christ, and yet there's unbelief uh, still in our lives? Well, when we zoom in on the picture more, we see that God, through the writer of Hebrews, calls us to fight against unbelief in the same way that God called Israel to fight against unbelief. Remember, weeks ago, Dave told you there were two warnings, and two, there were three warnings, excuse me, in the book of Hebrews. This is the second of those uh, three warnings here in verses 12 uh, through 15. 
Before we talk about uh, what these warnings actually represent, I want to be super clear with you about what's being said in verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13 are not insinuating, if you read them again, they're not insinuating that one can lose salvation. It'd be easy to read that into uh, these verses. Rather, the author of Hebrews wants us to see that there's a very clear distinction between a believing heart and an unbelieving heart, and you may not be able to tell what that looks like on the surface. There's a very clear distinction between a believing heart and an unbelieving heart, and you may not be able to tell Uh, what that distinction is on the surface. Let me see if I can get at this through a couple questions. Can a heart that believes they desperately need Jesus, saving work on the cross, they're, they're, they're utterly dependent upon Jesus' resurrection for their life because they realize that there's no possibility they can save themselves from their own sin. Can that heart have pockets of unbelief? Can that heart have pockets of unbelief? Let's ask it this way, simply put. Can can one be a Christian and still struggle with unbelief? Let's ask the opposite question. Can a heart know that can a heart know the scriptures backwards and forwards, know all sorts of things about God, be around and in God's uh, church, even even be able to say that they know they need Jesus to save uh, from their sins, and yet be hardened by the day because they know about God without ever really knowing God. Is that possible? Simply put, uh, maybe, can one be an unbeliever and yet appear to believe? If that is scary to you, hang on just a second. (laughs) Because I'm not trying to cast doubt this morning on whether you believe or don't believe uh, in Jesus. Rather, I want to set this up so that when we look at Hebrews chapter 3, when we look at 12 through 15, we can actually see that the, the author of Hebrews is giving us three weapons to fight against unbelief. Three weapons to fight against unbelief that actually cultivate belief in uh, our lives. Look back at verses 12 and 13, 14 with me. How do you take care? Did you notice those words uh, there at the beginning of chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 12? How is it that you take care that evil and unbelief don't lead you away from God? Well, here's the weapon, repentance. Repentance. Repentance, the heart that begs the Holy Spirit to help it see any hint of unbelief and and ask that we we receive help to run away from uh, that unbelief, to hate it, to long for it to be gone. Uh, That heart that pushes into that repentance will remain soft and believing. 
If the Holy Spirit is helping you scratch and claw and work and fight away from yourself and toward Jesus, that heart remains uh, soft and believing and trusting uh, in Jesus. Maybe the best uh, way to ask it is, are you able to be honest with Jesus about who you really are? Are you able uh, to tell him that you're sorry? Do you ask for, for his help uh, when, even when you, can, when you think you can help uh, yourself? You see, that heart, that softened heart will foster a belief because repentance roots out uh, unbelief. If you were here with us in Sunday school this morning, Dave was talking about repentance and it being good. Like the reality of being able to say, God, I'm sorry. I hate my sin. I hate that it affects my life in these ways. It's burdensome. It weighs me down. For some reason in our culture, we've cultivated this idea that that's a bad thing. But the reality of repentance is it is good because you know what it does? It provides rest. It relieves burdens. It places our sin off of our shoulders and onto Jesus. And so God says one of the weapons that you can fight unbelief with is repentance. But what if you're not able to see how your heart is hardening? And where you're being deceived. Well, there's the second weapon. Look in verse 13. It's not just repentance, but it's also repentance in community. It's repentance uh, in uh, community. The heart that knows it needs others to help it spot unbelief. The heart that can be honest with others about what's really going on on the inside. Uh, the heart that, lo that longs for others to speak truth. In love, uh, that points uh, towards repentance and trusting uh, Jesus. That heart will remain soft and foster uh, belief. Maybe these questions uh, will help. Can, you, can someone tell you that your expectation for others um, is greater, and they, greater for others than that doesn't apply to you? Do you have people around you that can tell you that your incessant worry about this is potentially hardening and fostering uh, unbelief? Are you honest enough with others that they can confront your bargains with God that highlight others' insufficiencies but fail to see that those insufficiencies are in your own heart as well? You see, those type of, uh, that type of, uh, those types of things oftentimes harden our hearts and create this calcification, this unbelief uh, that slowly draws us away from God. And it seems like the writer of Hebrews is telling us it's important. Um, it's, 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 Im it's important for the repentant believer to be in community probably even say it'd be hard to be a Christian and be outside the church. We need, we need the church. It's not perfect, but it is a, a culture that fosters honesty mingled with love and truth, and that produces 
a repentance that we can live into together. The third weapon in verses 7 and 15. We need repentance. We need community. But when do we need it? The author of Hebrews says today. (laughs) Today. Meaning when you hear his voice today. Every day. All day. Repent and draw near in that community. When do you need the gospel? Well, the weapon of opportunity is today. A heart that longs to hear the gospel regularly, daily, will remain uh, soft and believing. Is the gospel is the gospel that refrain that plays in your mind throughout the day? Is the gospel the refrain that is a part of your communication uh, with friends and loved ones, with your spouse, uh, even in your church? Uh, The heart that hears self and the world and the voice of idols will harden and foster uh, unbelief. But when the good news of Jesus is present today, every day, all day, then we're headed toward repentance in honesty with others. Are those weapons in your life? Can you see them? A desire to hear the gospel, a desire for repentance, a desire for a community. They're essential for fighting unbelief and fostering rest, a real rest that trusts Jesus and longs for the picture to be complete. If you've ever wondered why we observe the Lord's Supper, every week here at Christ Press. Think back through those three weapons. Picture of the gospel. Repentance. You come to this table in repentance and you're doing it with who? Others in community. This is, friends, this is the first meal it wets, it's meant to wet our appetite uh, for our first meal in the promised land. 